Welcome to Inviting Doom, a podcast about faith, bad theology, and stepping into ideas marked as dangerous for the soul. I'm Sarah, one of your hosts. And I'm Krista. We'd love you to join us as we unlearn old beliefs, navigate current issues, and explore the previously unexplored religious frameworks in our lives. Welcome back to our podcast. I'm Krista and Sarah's joining me again. And it's just been about a week since we last spoke. So we wanted to connect up again and um, just talk about what's been on our minds lately. Yeah. And past week, whenever you and I talk, um, we always have something new to come back with anytime yeah. we've been thinking about stuff. Um, and I think we just really wanted to start off touching on a few. I guess sort of points from last week that we thought were interesting. You had done a bit of reading, and I had done a bit of reading that sort of played into what we talked about last week, which was um, basically that idea of following your truth out of something and seeing that as a as a path that was healthy and whole, yeah. as opposed to a framework that we grew up with, which was, you know, if you stray away, it was always yeah. in term, the language is always straying away from what you've been given. Yeah. So you're handed something at a very young age, mm-hmm. um, and you're told, you know, you don't have the cognitive abilities to really discern anything else, and you're told this is the, the standard and this is the way, and if you leave this, you're straying. Mm-hmm. And I guess we sort of both have been thinking this week about when straying is kind of good for you yeah and healthy and actually probably truth i feel like too for us growing up the strain wasn't only just you if you deviate from this structure not only are you straying away from god's will for your Mm. life but that meant doom for us right so there was this um I just kick back that you would anticipate that if I don't do these things, not only am I displeasing God, but I should be anticipating for my life to have failures if I do. And that that's scary. So it, it would be wise in our mm-hmm. eyes to follow the structures mm-hmm. because that would mean a healthy, well life. And cushioned from all the adversities of life too. Mm-hmm. That was a presupposition that I had that if I follow the instructions... Uh, the instructions, then even if little things come my way, it'll be, it'll be fine. You know, like God works for the good of those who love them. Nothing too big will come. The burden won't be too big to bear. And um, yeah, it'll, it'll just kind of sweep away and God will miraculously take care of everything. And obviously that's not really what happens. You're not miraculously protected in this bubble um, from the world's pain, uh, just because you follow God's will or the structures that have been given to you described as God's will. Yeah. And it's sort of a weird mix because you're, and well, and of course, Chris and I are only speaking for ourselves. And even when I say we are, are, I'm actually only speaking for myself because I know that Chris and I probably have some differences in, in, um, upbringing and ideas, Mm -hmm. but it's true. You're handed a structure that says, um, if you do all of these things right, then your pain will be lessened or that, you know, your life will go easier, that sort of your paths will be made straight. Mm -hmm. And, but weirdly enough, I don't know if this is the same for you, 
but I think it probably is, mm-hmm. is that you, we are we were aware that there that life wasn't supposed to be easy in a sense. Like mm-hmm. I do remember hearing that I was expected to suffer. I, I think I was just assumed that the suffering would come from being persecuted for Christ. Yeah, I, or yeah, exactly. when you do the right things and the world is so corrupt and the yeah. world is so awful and deadly and that when you do the right things, you're going to receive blowback for that. Yeah. And so you create your own persecution complex. But that's where the hardship is. You perceive your martyrdom as being the hardship. Yeah. Um, Whereas other things, God will, you know, maybe bad things or hard things will happen to you, but you're sort of lifted above the waves and you're kind of sustained. And it, it, um, it gives you these expectations of what kind of catastrophe you will have versus the ones that you won't have. And then you will, you prepare for that. So I might think if I don't tithe, I'll be in financial ruin. Um, or I might be persecuted for my faith. And so I might be anticipating some of those consequences based on how I live, but I would not anticipate that I would get divorced based on how I was living, mm-hmm. you know, and yet here I am as a divorcee. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't end up following the the pattern that I felt like the Bible would have told me of if you do these things, this might happen. Like all the Proverbs kind of give you some clues of like a lazy man's going to be poor and yeah, whatever totally. else, like read through the rest of it. Totally. And um, so there were some surprises for me in real life of what kind of catastrophe or pain can actually affect me as a Christian where mm. it wasn't what I was expecting. Not fun surprises. Yeah. No. Yeah. Not I just really caught off guard. For. And yet like there's the stories of Job who like probably wasn't anticipating that his whole family would get slaughtered, <laughs> you know? So maybe I should have been anticipating mm. all sorts of pains and struggles yeah. and suffering. Well, I think that's a weird, if we sort of, I think we're probably going to do a lot of little mini rabbit trails today. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but, but this thing of the Job story was always so perplexing to me because in some ways you're supposed to feel comfort from it because it is that very thing. It is that mm-hmm. thing we talked about last week is like you are so programmed to believe that even if you're being tortured with your toenails being pulled out, yeah. that that is somehow within God's greater scope and plan. Um, and on the one level, so you have the Job story. It's like like the, his whole family is slaughtered. He's got yeah. boils all over himself. Just miserable. His Total wife awful, is like, like, just roll over and die yeah, and curse God. Yeah, all his friends have abandoned him. Yeah. You know? And then he gets a chance to question God. And God's like, kind of like, F you. How dare you question me? <laughs> you I'm so great. I made the Leviathan and I did all this crazy stuff and set the boundaries in place for time space and the tides and whatever yeah and so there's he never gets an answer to his um to his problem and we're supposed to sort of take hope in the fact that well he's so big he's got it all under control like your suffering and your littleness Mm -hmm. um is for this grander sort of purpose yeah even when if you take things at face value it's quite a cold it's quite a cold reading of mm-hmm. what God actually is or what he's like or, yeah. you know, and Job probably did everything right. He had all the, he, his kids were probably well in line and he served yeah. God. Yeah, well, that's definitely God the and, reason why yeah. in the story, 
it's like it's the most shocking righteous man in the world who's flourishing and successful and have you even considered my servant job yeah. you know like it's just not what you would expect at all <laughs> no and it's not but like you said not being prepared for the things, not being prepared it's not really a story that gets a lot of focus like yeah. i think the theology that you're handed as a as a kid in evangelicalism at least for us as kids uh being kids in the 80s um and 90s it's like our theology was very much the prescription based mm-hmm. if you do these things yes like you said if you didn't tithe then you might be financially bankrupt mm-hmm. or there were certain things that you could sort of foresee yeah problems happening being persecuted whatever for yeah. doing things a certain way yeah um but largely you weren't ever supposed to be in the divorcee group or right you know you weren't supposed yeah. to be in the drug addict group or you weren't supposed to be in the whatever yeah. group yeah um because if you followed everything right, that just wasn't supposed to happen to you. Exactly. When I'm thinking even about the story of Job, one of the things that struck me was when he has this conversation with God and God kind of is like, what do you know? And Job ends up kind of appeased by that. Like his statement Mm. is basically like, who am I? You are so big. Mm. Who am I to question you? And he leaves the story or that story is somehow like finished where Job is restored to some sort of blessing. He has a new family and is flourishing. Just which a replacement. <laughs> always really bothered me because I'm like, what about his last family? Yeah. You know, like that really bothers me. He probably loved his first wife and the new wife isn't his first wife. And if you were one of those kids, like I don't want to get murdered I know. and slaughtered because because <laughs> of some grand yeah, because you're teaching Job something like that know, doesn't yeah. make any sense. But no. somehow with his interaction with God at the end, he's kind of like. He seems subdued and think it, it, it appears that he is cool with God again. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? That makes sense. And you're holy and I am not. And you are righteous and I am not. And even though I'm the most righteous man in the world, you are still, still so much holier than I am. I'm still not good enough and I need you mm-hmm. and everything's cool. Yeah. And I read that and think about that. And as the reader... I'm not cool with that. Yeah. Like, I feel really lost in that Mm -hmm. of, like, I'm either missing the big picture because here's the man who lost his family and was super sick and miserable. And so why am I struggling so much with... Yes, it's... That's such a good point. I thought you were going to say that you were sort of lost because... um, just because you didn't you couldn't resonate with it well i can't resonate and that's definitely part of it but it's like okay well the the protagonist in the story is appeased and he he's great and he's back with god and he's in good relationship with god after all all of this i read that story and i feel like it pushes me away from god and i think if you're gonna murder my whole family or allow the murder of my family to teach me a lesson or for me to understand how holy you are or for him to in the story prove himself to satan or to yeah yeah, it just doesn't make any sense like and i don't understand how you could be at peace with god after that maybe this is a reflection of my own story i'm not at peace with god after my own turmoils with but like you were saying like you part of it is like you can resonate because in that framework that we grew up in, your immediate thing is, oh, I'm not a very good Christian. Like, if Job, who's just had his whole family slaughtered yeah. and has boils covering him and whatever, yeah. if he is able to make peace with God through it all, yeah. and still sort of, quote-unquote, hang on to his faith, you right. know, through thick and through thin, yeah. and then you're struggling because of the death of your, your mother or yeah. whatever, 
it, it's just like this comparison thing of like, well, obviously, like I'm just crap, and it feeds into that shame and that guilt yeah. cycle of you know, this impossible standard of Mm -hmm. what does God actually expect people to just bounce back from their families being slaughtered? And like, is that, is this supposedly the God that, you know, knows us so well? And, and I think a big thing for me in sort of deconstruction was putting everything through the lens of like an abusive situation. Right. Yeah. Where I'm like, if I would not allow my own best friend or my own daughter or my own mm-hmm. whatever into a relationship with a person who was acting like this, yeah. then this is not good enough. Yeah. And I know that people would say, Oh, but you're human standards and you're always you're always undermined. You're always told, Yeah, yeah but your God's ways are higher than your ways and like don't trust your senses. At any yeah. point, do not but trust But if his yourself. standards are higher than ours, then shouldn't they be better. Be better. Yeah, shouldn't they be so, better? So, like... I, I shouldn't be more ethical than God. Yeah, exactly. I, I shouldn't be more compassionate than God. Yes. Um, and this idea that somehow there's this weird mix in in the theology is that both God knows the hairs on your head and will pick out your genes for you and make mm-hmm. sure you get into the right school. He knows you so intimately that he will literally, you know, find you a parking spot or whatever yeah. we talked about, right? <laughs> And yet at the same time, you're so meaningless and obscure Mm. that whatever pains and tortures you go through, like the Job story or that, you should just brush it aside and go, oh, I know nothing. I'm absolutely useless. My my faith is terrible. God just knows it all. And And in the scheme of eternity, eternity his grand scheme, you know, you can't have both. You can't say that God is deeply intertwined in your life and knows the the pain and the heartache that you're going through mm-hmm. and simultaneously he's like ah oh, but i have a bigger thing even if this drives her to suicide it mm-hmm. was worth my whatever my long-term goals sort of the ends justify the means right and almost nobody that is half compassionate or ethical mm-hmm. believes in ends justifies the means right Right? Like, that is not... That's basically, like, if you look at health research ethics, like, we're not going to test on people to get this vaccine through because it'll save millions of people's life if it's going to kill the people who are in the trial. Exactly. Like, Mm -hmm. you have certain standards when you respect the individual and you know the individual and you are compassionate towards the individual. Mm -hmm. Their life isn't a toy uh, or a byproduct or, like, a collateral damage Mm -hmm. in a long-term scheme that you have right that's not how you if we even think about the psychopathy of that in your own life if i only envisioned you i pretended to care about you yeah but i only envisioned you as a stepping stone to something else greater than i was going to do with my own life or my own plans yeah so sort of gauging a lot of god god's i'm using quotation marks god's processes that were passed on to me mm-hmm. through through the lens of a, a psychopath mm-hmm. uh, like the job story um along with many other ways that god supposedly interacts with his people and how it was told he interacts is that of an abusive partner if you were to imagine being with a spouse who said I willingly put boils on you and I've just killed your children that you had before. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and I manipulated your brain into thinking that I have the best plans in mind, but I just stabbed your dog and, you know, your neighbors. <laughs> yeah. And your end result as a wife 
was to go, you're right, I'm totally wrong. My feelings of rage and anger in questioning your headship and in questioning your role and your authority in my life Mm -hmm. over you stabbing my dog and murdering my previous children and whatever, Mm -hmm. my emotions towards that are totally unjustified. Um, I apologize. You are great. You are totally wonderful. Yeah. You would be like, get the feckin' out of that yep. relationship yeah. and you would never, you would report that person to the police if, yeah. if you know, your friend came to you and said, this is what my husband said to me after he killed my dog and after he, you'd be like, well, I'm going to call some help. <laughs> yeah. So framing things in a way, if the standard isn't good enough for your own kids and the standard isn't good enough for your best friends yeah. uh, in their relationships, then we have to relook at how, how we're thinking about saying God is acting actually yeah versus is it just a cultural idea at the time where people were pantheistic and they thought about multiple gods and they thought rain came from wherever and or whatever they thought you know yeah and understanding that the perception of God at the time and how God worked at the time was Mm -hmm. far different and has evolved um yeah Rather than just literally taking it out of context, right? I think the other good point is to even check the theology on it. Like, if if you believe that God is love, which I think all Christians would probably would say, say yeah, that they do. Yes, they yeah. believe that God mm. is love. Well, then if a story about God or that's supposed to reveal God's character doesn't show love, then either you're misinterpreting the story. Mm. Or there's a flaw in the story or in the canon or mm. something, but something's gone awry. Mm. So if you believe in God as God is love, okay, in this story, how is God love or where is the love of God? And I think that some people would look at it and say, well, God didn't murder his family. Satan murdered his family. And God allowed it kind of in these brackets because Satan already um, had authority in the world. He, he was the prince of the earth, you know, like... Um, it's a fallen world, so he could do whatever he wanted. It was outside the realm of what God could do unless he was going to be miraculous and intervene. He kind of allowed it. I'm doing quotations. Mm-hmm. And that still upsets me. You know, like, I think that... Because I can hear all of the arguments of my Christian yeah, friends course, in the yeah. background as we're talking. And even things that I would initially say to myself of like, oh, well, God didn't murder them. And he's a good God. And he's a just God. And he's yeah. a loving God. But he's still allowed it and there was still this interaction between satan and god where they talk about job and god replies something along the lines of yeah do what you will but just don't murder him yeah and we see all this wreckage of everyone who's around him like they're meaningless and i feel like when we think of our own stories we feel really ordinary we feel like these ordinary people Mm. and we can look at like the Obamas or uh, Bonos and think those are the extraordinary people in the world, but I'm just this ordinary person. Mm-hmm. So in this story, I would be his wife who is cast aside is and murdered. The collateral damage. It's collateral damage, and I'm not even making the print of the text to even say, God, do you know me? Do you see me? Yeah, Did totally. you think about me? Did you see my face before you s- said to Satan, do it's whatever okay. you will, just don't kill Job. Yeah. Well, what about his wife, Krista? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I think about those things. now has a name. It is yeah. Krista. <laughs> well, and I, I think that that's really hard for me to reconcile. And when you walk through your own trauma, especially when it's a surprising trauma, mm-hmm. like 
like I've had with my divorce or with my mom passing. Um, I think that these kind of things boil up and you see God in a different way and you see these stories in a different way and you think, wait, hold on. Are you a loving God or are you not? Is this real or is it not? Because if you're not a loving God, I'm not signing up. And if you're not loving, then maybe it's not even real and maybe I've prescribed to something that I just grew up in because I'm in North America and my yeah. parents were born here in this time period and in this context. And if you were in India, you would have been yep. totally different. You yep. would have been Muslim or Hindu or whatever, yeah. right? And so there's no real easy way to to move forward from that other than like, I recognize that I have some unreconciled ideas about mm. God and tension about the biblical stories that have been told to me and just given to you like here's this story about mm. Job and what a cool story like he really knew suffering and he was the most righteous man in the world and and even he wasn't enough yeah. and God died for him and blah 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 well and it really plays into what we're talking about is that idea of standards when you're talking about um sort of Job adhering to all the right things, but still that idea of falling outside the realm, like that God has this sort of mystical realm of control and power, Mm -hmm. where technically he's supposed to have all control and all power because he's supposed to be omniscient and omnipresent and whatever. But um, you said the argument of, you know, Satan is the ruler and he rules the principalities and darkness and Mm -hmm. whatever. So he's... Um, he's sort of the ruler of the world, which is kind of outside God's realm. We kind of almost imagine like a Lion King mm-hmm. version of everything the light touches, yeah. except that dark place. Yeah. And over, don't you dare go into the dark yeah. place because that's no longer in my kingdom. Yeah. And the reality is what we're handed is not only that very highly scripted life of you follow these things, this is how you live. Yeah. And if you do these things, you're going to step outside of my blessing and outside Mm -hmm. there's always this golden circle that you might step outside of if you don't give your household over to god or you don't you know say the prayers before you go traveling or you don't Mm -hmm. whatever you fall outside of god's protection somehow it's almost like hogwarts right there's some kind of like spheres of mystic magic whatever yeah so you have that at play, but then you also have the deep level of fear that that results absolutely of once you it just keeps you eternally running after every little moment in your life, every little thought, every little yeah. action to check it and make sure that you are not outside of this supposedly yeah. omnipotent God yeah. who's supposed to control everything. And all you're doing is playing catch up all the time. Mm-hmm. Not only that eternally your soul won't be lost so that you're not having this accumulative effect of where you know, a, a foothold might be taken in your life mm-hmm. of some deep sin that you failed to notice as you're right. seven years yeah. old lying on your bed going, oh God, please like make sure you cleanse me with hyssop so that I am clean and praying like, you know, psalms yeah. over yourself so you don't... I said the word shit today and exactly. I'm going to go to hell. Exactly. Yeah. So the weight of childhood in general, yeah. just of making sense of your world and your soul's destination mm-hmm. but then you're also trying to adhere to all these tiny little things from day to day that was I outside of God's will today yeah. was I outside of the golden circle did mm-hmm. I um am I in danger of of I was always worried that my heart would be quote-unquote hard in that what if swearing became normal to me what if I became so hard and calloused yeah that the things that make God really angry would not bother me. Yeah. And you're like, and those things are 
swearing. Yeah. And, like God is going to become so <gasps> oh my gosh. with yeah. you. Yeah. And your heart is going to be so hard that like mm-hmm. saying shit yeah. means you're going to start taking like cocaine the next level, right? Yeah. Like yeah. there's no discernment. There's actually, you grow up in a, in a sphere completely devoid of discernment because it's all yeah. about obtaining these little check marks and these little boxes and mm-hmm. have I put a foot outside the circle? Have I done... There's no sense of a larger reality of right. how humans function or, or like, yeah. really. I kind of wonder, too, how much of these kind of expectations come from parenting that's easy. So, like... <laughs> You mean Instead of authoritarian parenting, well, yeah, like, <laughs> like you know what? In this household, you don't swear because it's disrespectful. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, too yeah. hard yeah. to teach you that you can be honest and use big words sometimes, but you have to be responsible for your words. Yeah, and you don't yeah. get to say it to your teachers, yeah. and like all these things. Totally. And so the rule is just no swearing. And if you swear, God's upset, and there might be eternal doom. It is, you know. Yeah, it's, a really, it's a good point. And I don't think that that's verbally said in that way to kids, but I think that parents would probably Christian parents anyway would say something along the lines of, "We don't swear in this house." That's we use our mouths to in, encourage others and not to discourage them. You know, all the things mm-hmm. that uh, we probably grew up with from our parents, and it translates into all these other expectations too from our parents. Because they aren't going to take the time to have these mature conversations. And maybe as little people, we don't have the capacity to understand. But there isn't ever like the follow up as the years go on that says, you know what, like, in the big scheme of things, me as a mother, I just want you as my daughter to feel okay in your skin to know that there's grace for you to be a human being. And if I do believe in God that if you do mess up, you can ask for forgiveness and it's readily available to you. And if you need to swear sometimes, it's a totally human thing to do and all hell is not going to break loose. It's not going to open up the floodgates of hell to come and get you because you use the word fuck, you know? And like, I know people that I grew up with who would like lay in bed at night just so fearful because they oh, used yeah. a swear word and thinking like, I've got to tell my parents, I've got to confess. Uh, like all these I used repercussions. To say the sinner's prayer, yeah, as a norm, mm-hmm. just in case in my daily prayers there were things that I might have missed that then yeah. I would be unforgiven for right. when I get up to the pearly gates of heaven and stand right. before this almighty God mm-hmm. who I'm supposed to be both in love with and terrified of. Can you tell me what any natural, normal, healthy relationship right. where you're both terrified of the person, mm-hmm. but, and you're also supposed to love them. Right. That is so like weird, messed up. Yeah. But just this idea that I would get there and this list of like immeasurable sins would be read aloud mm-hmm. to me because I hadn't, asked for forgiveness and I hadn't um and the shame I always felt a lot of shame with that I always was worried that it would be me by myself little Mm -hmm. Sarah uh standing in front of this God who I knew would let me into heaven yeah but there would be all the sins that I hadn't listed or all the things that I'd done Mm -hmm. you know when nobody was watching yeah um and that would be on full display for all of humanity. Everybody would see. <laughs> Let's humiliate you in front yes. of everybody. It, I was petrified of the humiliation yeah. of getting one thing wrong that would then be on display to every person in the world who, mm-hmm. who I just assumed were obviously like better than me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, anyway, it's there's just so much fear in that. Yeah. 
um, checkmark kind of living. Yeah. And I think for me growing up, I didn't necessarily feel, I wasn't fearful that God wouldn't be gracious to me. I thought that his grace was sufficient. I actually felt really at peace with that. Yeah. My biggest fear and something that I still deal with today is, um, the fear of inviting doom into my life, you know, by the choices that I'm making, um, because I'm, I'm, I'm saying or doing something outside of this golden structure that's been given to me that somehow it's going to... Should that be the name of result. our podcast? Inviting Doom. <laughs> Inviting Doom. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe all these participants are so excited to come and listen to us inviting Doom into their homes. <laughs> oh. But yeah, like I think that the fear is really real and then it ends up being um, kind of this relationship between how you want to live mm. or how you are currently living and how you can negotiate your fear with that. Yeah. Because you're either going to be more scared to um, fall outside of this golden structure or you're going to be more scared to miss out on whatever that path is. Well, there was, a, there was a saying that always was in my church all the time, and I absolutely hate it now with every fiber of my being. Mm-hmm. But this idea that you never know um, if you do something, what that will open up. And if you've opened something up, you, you know, you yeah. can't really close it again. Sort of, yeah. you know, referencing Satanism or some sort of portal yeah. to a dark you know, a dark, um, you're going to be possessed or Mm -hmm. you're going to, yeah, you're just going to invite demons into your life or some sort of dark influence or, so just be very careful about what you dabble in. Because if you, if you are dare to even think about something or be curious about something, you'll sort of be like Eve and you'll bring down the whole system because of your, your curiosity about something because you it's like Pandora's box, right? Right. But then the like curious how, woman. How small is your God then? Like if you just are curious about something that's maybe sinful and it opens up this Pandora's box of sin and you become possessed by some demon. sexual demon, then is your God so small that he can't reach you? Well, you know, like are you are you separate are you so separated from God by that point because of your sexual curiosity mm-hmm. in this hypothetical scenario that God can't reach you yeah you know and it's like it's still fear-based what we were talking about is the fear is used from the pulpit to try to get people to be more strict and rigid with their faith and more committed to their faith Mm -hmm. but if god is a god of love you should only be using love to promote god and not fear because it would be contrary to his entire message yeah right so it's a little confusing and then you end up with people like you and i who are trying to deconstruct our faith and we're so confused in different aspects of our life because of it because the message has been inconsistent yeah the aftermath of it is and the actual ability to live it out is is impossible how do you live out this structure this social norm christian structure that we've been well and like you were saying too about this thing of you know with the check marks and boxes and you're living this life that you're trying to live by the no swearing the no Mm -hmm. whatever no sex before marriage being kind to everybody giving to the poor tithing going to church every week your existence totally your existence becomes a set of to do's Mm -hmm. which actually could be incompatible with your own selves like thoughts and feelings so like Mm -hmm. you were saying it's it's an easier way to train children where you just lay down hard rules Mm -hmm. that say 
uh, you know, there's no swearing in this house. Mm-hmm. You will sit down and eat your dinner and you'll eat all of it. Forcing kids to a certain conformity mm-hmm. rather than getting them to understand that they have words that they can express and say, yeah. I feel uncomfortable with this thing. Mm-hmm. Or I feel so angry that I could swear and I am going to swear. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's a human thing that's okay to do. Yeah. Um, it's easier just to like lay down those to-dos and to say mm-hmm. conform to this thing. But, and for some people, Chris and I were talking about Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, and this idea of essentially living in the good enough, mm-hmm. and that what happens is, is if you don't follow your way out, and you don't follow the truth of where you're seeing holes and inconsistencies, yeah. and that structure starts to crumble, and you start to question, and you don't follow that thread to the very end... Yeah. To find your truth, yeah. Um, some some people have to do that. They have to follow that string all the way out. Yes. Some people can say, at least even for a time being, mm-hmm. it's good enough. I will just put these things in a box. But Glennon Doyle says something interesting, and she just says, "You think that good enough is is a safe spot because mm. you don't have to change any structures, and you don't have to change any um, old." you know, information that you had. Yeah. You don't really have to rattle anything too much. Yeah. If you're comfortable and you're okay and the good enough, mm-hmm. it feels like a safe place. Yeah. But actually, she says, it's an extremely dangerous, risky place because living in the good enough means the absolute death of, of the everything best. else, of the best mm-hmm. and of the truest version of yeah. yourself. Yeah. It means the absolute slaughter of what could be. Yeah. And the, the depth of relationships that you could have, yeah. the conversations you could have, whatever, dumb things even, and this isn't dumb, but I mean mm-hmm. hobbies, jobs, whatever, yeah. the fulfillment of your talents and your passions and your heart, yeah. it means the death of all of that. Yeah. And that's actually super dangerous. Yeah. And so I think that there are people who make calculated decisions because of the amount of vested time they have in a marriage or in their children's yes. training yeah. or in their church communities or mm-hmm. uh, in their reputation in a town of who they feel they are or perceive to be. Yeah. Um, but if you don't follow those weed little things in the back yeah. of your brain and those, yeah. oh, this, like you said, this story doesn't sit with me. Mm-hmm. You could have shoved that into a box and yeah. said, Krista, I just... You just have to conform more. You have to be yeah. a better Christ follower and submit to the toenails being pulled out. Yeah. And one day maybe it will make sense. And if it doesn't make sense now, it will make sense when I'm dead. Yeah. So who cares if yeah. my whole life I'm confused is confused and, yeah. and angry and sore yeah. and, and whatever. Mm. I'll have peace when I die. Like what kind of a you what know, kind of hope are we giving people? Yeah, that? what is yeah. what is that even? It's a yeah. total disregard of actual living. Yeah, which is ironic. Like you said, the amount of contradictions where you're told Christ came to give you life to the full. Yeah, you know, it's the thief who comes to kill, steal, and, steal and destroy. destroy. Yeah, but Jesus comes to give you life to the full. And what you find is actually, at least what I found, yeah, is that my life was very fear based. Mm-hmm. Um, it was small and shallow yeah yeah. I didn't have the tools to trust myself I didn't it's sort of like the the, again the Job story where you know all torture is happening to you Mm -hmm. but you don't even have the right to listen to your own body and your body's like something's not right here and you're like shut up body Jesus has the plan you know (laughs) yeah and yeah 
what is what does that get you? It gets you sick. It gets you confused. It gets yeah. you. And even if you've put it into a box, you will be a person sitting in the church who is silently distrusting a God who seems unlovable. Yeah. And what benefit is that for you well, or I'm, your friends and, or your family? And I would say what benefit is it because if everyone is putting different things into different boxes mm-hmm. that they refuse to touch and they refuse to talk about. Yeah. So for you, that might be, okay, I feel like God is actually actively using my my life in a game of chess. Yeah. And has no meaning. Right. Um, and I'm Krista Job's wife, and I've right. literally, you know, disposable. Yeah. So you put that into a box. Mm-hmm. So you don't ever want to talk about that because you don't want to think about it. Yeah, how do right? you reconcile yeah, yeah. that? I still want to worship it. God on a Sunday, so I'm just yeah. going to shove that in a box. Yeah. Somebody else has shoved in a box end times they're like well this kind of seems weird that it's never happening and why didn't every other kind of christian in the world that isn't pentecostal Mm -hmm. or isn't evangelical they don't really believe this uh okay well lots of scary things are gonna happen doesn't sound cool we'll just we'll just shove that in a box right yeah so you have all these different people shoving different things of their sort of experience in their in boxes yeah you have nothing to talk about if you have a set of boxes that you're not willing to talk about Somebody else in your church has a set of boxes that they're not yeah. willing to talk about. Yeah. Your children would like to talk about stuff. You ha- What's your relationship based on? You have yeah. very limited... Well, and I would argue there are conversation pieces that are complete red flags to me now for this very reason. Because you'll try to have a real conversation with someone that you believe is a real intimate friend. Who yeah. could maybe hold the burden of something this big. Right. Mm. Um, you you don't go around and talk about the, the big things that you have boxed to just anybody. No. So you go to your friend and you talk about them and you realize they're listening to you, but their reply is something like, well, Sarah, you just need to trust the Lord. Yeah. To me, this is a huge red flag because what it ultimately says is, I have no answer for you. I'm not willing to go to this place with you because it's also in a box of mine. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I'm going to give you a Christian cliche that sounds correct, but absolutely gives you nothing to hold on to. Totally. So what does trust in the Lord actually mean in practical terms? Stop thinking about it. Just turn my brain off and stop worrying about it. Move forward somehow without any real closure. What does that actually mean? It doesn't mean anything to me other than you're not willing to listen and Mm -hmm. you can't give me any help. And even if you said... I have no idea what to tell you. And I understand that that's really frustrating. I I don't know. Well, like that is helpful as a friend. Yeah. Versus the, well, trust well because the one, like we talked about last time, one is a, the first one. Your first example is a kind of a gaslighting. Yeah. You're being vulnerable enough to say my intellect and my emotions mm-hmm. and even sometimes my physical body yeah. is not coping with this message or this yeah. theology yeah. properly. Right. And rather than them say, and maybe even check their own experiences yeah. and go, actually, I kind of feel a similar way about yeah. this thing. Mm-hmm. Or I had a friend who similarly thought that and experienced yeah. that thing. Or yeah. Rather than actually take a moment and go, gee, if your body is actually responding yeah. in this way, there must be something fairly legitimate there. Yeah. I recognize tell that. Tell me more. Speak yes, to me about tell this. me more about it. How, what do you think that's connected to? Yeah. How, Investigate it. How I'm did this come about? When yeah. do you have a time that you remember this first started happening? Yeah. 
you just give, like you said, the Christian cliche pat yeah. answer to make it go away and yeah. basically tell the person yeah. that they're crazy. You're telling well, yeah, them, don't you're, trust your not body. Not only are you crazy, but you, you're turning into a bad Christian. Yes. You know, so some of these messages, we could probably come up with an entire list of them, but here's yeah. a couple. Trust the Lord. Just trust the Lord. Um, God won't give you a burden that you can't bear, too heavy to bear. Everything happens for a reason, which, by the way, isn't even fucking biblical. <laughs> if you find a verse that says that, send it my way. I'd be interested. That's not what I read at all. Like, so there's three for you right there. Mm. But the list could go on and on forever. And it, it's just like, those are the red flags to you that you're with somebody who can't have this conversation with you, that they're not prepared to have mm-hmm. uh, a conversation about faith that's difficult, that is maybe t- touching on a box that they are trying to repress. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're not the friend to Well, and again, like we were saying last time, it's like, People are leaving the church. Yeah. But nobody's actually asking anyone why. Because yeah. like you said, the minute you start saying, I actually have some serious, serious issues with the way God is being presented. Yeah. And it's the the fallout and the collateral to these yeah. teachings is actually measurable in data. You yeah. know, when you look at the fallout yeah. for LGBTQ people yeah. or trans kids or yeah. whatever... Like or even I would say people of color and black communities who are marginalized by certain beliefs that mm-hmm. a largely white um, church body has sort of created, a North yeah. American church yeah. body has created. Mm-hmm. There's fallout from these things, yes, and a lot of it is measurable. Mm-hmm. But you're you sort of end up leaving conversations as though you feel crazy and as though yeah even though you're saying look i not only feel this way but here's data to show that whatever you're teaching and how you're teaching about god it's literally is, driving people away. it's driving people <laughs> away and yeah. it's not working and it's not consistent yeah um and instead you have people then responding or pastors responding there's i forget the guy's name but he was quote unquote responding the typical way mm-hmm. well these kids who have come into church and have issues with church and they have issues with the message they've just let the world creep in and they're so confused by external messaging yeah. and they don't really understand the larger picture and how deceitful things can be and you're just like you not only is that condescending help. yeah but again gaslighting you're saying their experiences that they're having yeah. are somehow shallow and deceived and mm-hmm. why aren't you the one deceived what is it that yeah. makes you so special and then you yeah. forget that it's largely like a pyramid scheme a lot of times in yeah. church where everyone's always trying to get to that holier position mm-hmm. you know like you and I were talking about before we started the podcast of you know the perfect girl or the perfect whoever yeah. that has the perfect skin and the perfect you know GPA and the mm-hmm. perfect whatever and you're always hoping to be in that group that yeah. no bad things happen to right yeah <laughs> and yeah. not in the group that's you know sucking at life <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know yeah and so you're always striving even even if it's just competition with yourself mm-hmm. you're always striving to be this peter perfect the perfect priest as yeah. to quote a Father Ted quote. But yeah. yeah, and it never it never can be achieved, you know. No. Well, and what was really profound for me last week, and I've thought about it a lot, talked to my boyfriend about it, and even still just resonating with me so much, is the idea that God 
could be the one himself leading me out of the church to have this journey to actually get to know him better because I won't be able to discover him within the confines of what the church has created while I'm meticulously checking off the boxes of this social structure and this perfection and the Proverbs 31 woman. And I further thought about why I don't go to church anymore. Or if I do, I go pretty rarely. And I haven't really been part of the community there for since 2015. And the community I was a part of then was a beautiful community and I miss it. But I find that I can't stand in church and feel integrous. And it was this huge light bulb this week in my personal conversations of just, I knew what we talked about was profound for me, like this idea that I could be getting closer with God and my, having a real relationship with God because I'm actually discovering things and following those breadcrumbs like we talked about in a way that I'm actually allowed to do that, that I wouldn't be allowed to within the church confines. But I can no longer stand in the institution and feel all right with myself because I feel like if I even let them see me and my journey and my struggles, I won't be accepted here. And if I'm not accepted here, all the other people who have left aren't accepted here either. And I care about all these people who have left and all the people Mm -hmm. who don't feel welcome in this institution or don't feel like they can be themselves. And the God that I've believed in is a God of love and who is one who made and created us to be unique. So why are we dumbing down who we are to satisfy a man-made structural norm within the church so that everyone feels like there's order. I wanna throw out that system. I can't stand there and worship God and feel like I'm in my moral integrity anymore. I feel like it's sinning for me to go to church yeah. and, and praise God that way. Totally. And I feel more in line with myself and more in line with God when I worship at home, yeah. when I pray at home, and when I have real conversations like this with a real friend where I can be honest and mm-hmm. true, even if it means that I'm fucking up how I'm saying it, even if I change my mind by the end of the podcast and I say, you know what, scrap that, I don't believe that anymore, and now I've grown. Yeah, totally. And I think that that's why a lot of people in our generation have walked away and they haven't been able to articulate it, and I'm still learning how to articulate it because it's such this big problem that it's is a huge thing. hard thing to even walk through and journey through how do you capture it, it into a sentence of why don't i go to church and it's why so don't enmeshed I feel in okay? your own identity as well yeah like to detangle and you that. also feel at the same time guilty for not going to church but you don't feel okay in the church totally. so you're like i'm ashamed <laughs> for not going there i'm afraid that if i don't go there that i'm inviting doom into my life mm. but if i do go there then i feel like i'm somehow sinning against my own integrity yes. It's just like this mind fuck of how do I get this right now? Yeah. How do I stand in righteousness? And like you said, though, still trying to figure it out within the framework of righteousness. Yeah. Where there's still that level of am I getting it right? Yeah. Because that's so hard yeah. to shake as well. Totally. As like there is no right. And I can already hear everyone who, you know, would criticize, oh, you're just relativist. And yet <laughs> I don't mean that. I don't mean that, oh, suddenly stabbing people is okay. I mean, no. there is no right in the sense of, the right way to connect to God and there's this right way to yeah. like check off all your boxes to be the perfect person and yeah. you know that's going to very much vary 
depending on yeah on everyone's tools and capabilities yeah. and you know, their contacts how they grew up exactly what they have available that has to be highly flexible but I think mm-hmm. if we go back to your idea about order because um, we've talked about order and it's sort of even the the childhood upbringing of it's easier for parents just to set sort of quote-unquote law and order yeah, yeah. than it is to have this very flexible framework that yeah. is trying to give children tools yep. to articulate their themselves and articulate their world right. and articulate their reality. It's easier to have a sort of a top-down, almost authoritarian type. Right. But, but like you said about the church, of this idea of like, of order and going into the whole Black Lives Matters uh, mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. Uh, quote by Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. about like order and justice, right? Mm-hmm. So this idea that the white moderate is the most dangerous person because they're more invested in the status quo mm-hmm. and they're more invested in maintaining order mm-hmm. than they are in actual justice. Order as peace mm-hmm. instead of justice as peace. Yeah. And so order as peace means that it's a superficial peace as in nobody's throwing rocks. Everything's in its place. Mm-hmm. Nothing's disruptive or disorderly. Mm-hmm. And that is being seen as peaceful. And godly. Yes. Yeah. Peaceful means quiet. No children screaming. <laughs> yeah. No. Versus peace as justice, which means justice is super messy. Because inevitably, as we move forward and as we yeah. learn more things about humans and we learn more things about our environment, we start to realize certain people groups have mm-hmm. been um, harmed you know, we're killing the environment. We're learning yeah. all this stuff about how our old frameworks yeah. have actually excluded vast groups of people, mm-hmm. how we treat resources, how we treat others, yeah. how foreign policies, how they're constructed. Yeah. And we start to go, oh, actually, so to have justice, if you want to have peace as justice, you actually have to correct mistakes. Yeah. And correcting mistakes means saying you're wrong and having those conversations yeah. where all the boxed yeah. things become unboxed. Yeah. All those things that you don't want to be honest about and you don't want to think about and are too complicated, you have to start having those conversations. Yes. And you actually have to start listening to people that you might have harmed yeah. and that your systems... And making amends. Yeah, and ma- that your systems and your institutions and mm-hmm. your nice little orderly status quo... Yeah that that has ground up and spit people out like yeah. you have to start addressing those things and that's going to be ugly because yeah. as soon as you are unwilling to do that mm-hmm. then the people that have been harmed they're not going away like injustice doesn't just yeah. go away no. because you are uncomfortable with like disorder yeah injustice yeah. is going to keep you know if you're not comfortable with the job story yeah that doesn't just go away. No, it doesn't. You know, in how unjust the story is. Yeah. It starts to take hold and you start to think, you're like, yeah. this is actually, this is a wrong thing or this yeah. is a whatever. Yeah. And so for everybody that has been spit out by these very orderly, authoritarian, structured conceptions of peace yeah. or peacefulness, mm-hmm. you know, that is all just going to foam up again. Yeah. And that, and especially within democracies where people start to have voices. Yeah. Nobody heard about how unhappy indigenous people were. And nobody was listening to indigenous people. In fact, if they could just 
shoot them, they would. When human rights laws change, Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden people that were marginalized before have a voice. And you're either going to start to listen to those things and those grievances of the people who are excluded, Mm -hmm. whether that's people in your church that have been, that have left and been excluded, or it's people that society has excluded. Um, That's leading me to a question about just even restructuring the church. Some people will have a really hard time listening to that if they're in the church and super Christian because you kind of bow up and defend your community. And I totally understand that. But we can still be honest. I think we can look at it through an honesty Mm. perspective and not just being criticism. We're not just trying to tear something down. We're deconstructing it. And we can also think about what's the right way or a better way, Mm. Uh, a more perfect church structure, like they say, a more perfect union. Mm. And I kind of wonder if some of this is ramifications from silencing the minorities in the church and silencing women. And um, maybe moving forward, if we had equal representation of women and men on, on church boards and leadership and preaching and all of that like and and minority groups as well because what we see now a lot is men driven churches even if they say like the church i was part of and totally love uh way back in the day they would have said that they support women and that they believe in women leadership but they had one woman on the executive leadership and she never preached from the big pulpit she had the biggest ministry in the church i would argue that she probably wasn't paid anywhere near what the men were paid although i that's an assumption on my part and i don't think that they really gave her a voice to make any big decisions and i just use that as a story as a sample of one to say how true is that across the country and if we're going to move forward with things like Black Lives Matter and feminism and trying to keep people in the church in a loving relationship with God, maybe we should give voices to people who are right now we're sending out the door and saying like, like what you had said about this other pastor basically saying like they're just sensitive Gen Xers or yeah. millennials or something that they don't know Relativists, the truth. Yeah. And who- it might be time to listen to a lot of people. But I think that's like a, a like a sort of a circular thing because what you have to do in order to listen to marginalized people, mm-hmm. you have to remember that people are marginalized. Uh, let, let's use the, your example of women. Like yeah. Women are marginalized because people believe that the Bible is telling them that women fall below men. Right. So then you like what you're saying makes logical sense to someone who is in health sciences and is looking yeah. at studies and right. is willing to look at data. And for me, you know, international studies and, and labor studies where I did a lot of you know research on women in labor and as migrant workers and right. whatever. But you, you basically have to say churches need to discard Let's just get rid of it all. Literal (laughs) interpretation of text. Yeah. Understanding text within its culture. Yes. Understanding the text was written at a time where they didn't even know the earth was round yet. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, mathematicians probably were figuring stuff out. But I mean, like, nobody knew that North America existed or Brazil. States didn't exist. We didn't have countries. We didn't, Mm -hmm. you know... You have to understand conceptions of God written in a time of incomplete information and incomplete data and experiences largely filtered through male-dominated culture at the time. You're either going to have to throw that away and Mm -hmm. say, we actually need to, like, change how we hold text. 
Yeah. We have to change how we actually view the Bible. Yeah. How do you do that when you have multi-billion dollar, well, like, yeah. globally... And beliefs. Like, it Bible would be industries that fully... Ba- all the marriage counseling books, yeah. how to raise your child. Entire right. institutions have yeah. built their whole credibility mm-hmm. on interpreting the Bible in that way of, right. of male headship. You know, Submissive spare the wife. rod, spoil the child. Yeah. So you have that problem, but you also have the fact that the framework that you're handed as well, and I think we might have touched on this last time, I can't remember, but um, is this the world is this evil place and untrustworthy. Mm-hmm. Not only are you untrustworthy mm-hmm. and you need to um, submit whatever emotions of doubt you might have mm-hmm. to God's authority yeah. um, and subvert you know, your own feelings, but the world is a dangerous place. And yeah. so any data or information about marginalized groups or what they call now as religious trauma, mm-hmm. people coming out of actual experiences in church, um, the concepts of hell and imperfection yeah. and all the stuff that it does to young children, mm-hmm. you know, you'd have to actually have, get somebody to read all that and yeah. be willing to accept scientific data and not as a god not as the be all end all but be willing to engage with new information yeah yeah and say oh actually maybe our teachings and our interpretation on how to have a happy household yeah is really only based on well, nothing other than this other one than scripture. You and yeah. I and what works for us yes. and our home. <laughs> versus, exactly. Yeah. Versus any new data that might come out about communication and healthy relationships and yeah. boundaries. And right. um, so, I mean, like I get your sentiment. It's yes, it would be great if we actually had equal representation. But it's sad to me that it's such a backward conversation. Yeah. That it's 20. And it's not practical. It's like, 2020. It's not and we're like, solution. oh, maybe women should be represented. Like, well, that's, that's where churches are at right yeah. now. And the church likes to think the that they're age. on like, they're on the edge and they're cutting edge because they know the truth and they have the truth and the truth will set you free. But really, the, the church has been like, way behind totally behind. culture and and we don't mean culture in the negative sense like in the in the terms yeah. of like progress being made progress yeah and i don't believe that god makes women makes me in my mother's womb and is like i know all the hairs on her head but she's a woman so <laughs> i love her slightly less than this male that i'm doing who will she be the has, head of the house no no she has <laughs> equal value yeah but a different role she oh, only is allowed out. to have one, <laughs> one role in life because her she has breasts instead of yeah. balls. Oh my she has gosh. two lumps on her chest instead of between yeah. her legs. So it's therefore, inferior. she has she <laughs> she's has equal value, limited potential limit, yeah. of what she can do. But it's I do kind of wonder like with the way things are going and so many young people, and I say young people kind of loosely because I'm in my late thirties, you're forty. <laughs> And we know people who are probably in their 50s and 60s who are still going through this. You totally just told everybody my age. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I totally hope you don't mind. But all that to say, like, I think the biggest hope is for people to actually have the place and a community and um, a safe space for everyone who's like us, who has had this kind of upbringing and kind of struggles with their faith and wants that community again or wants to have that camaraderie or similarity I don't even know what to call it Mm. but I I feel like I miss something by not being in the church but I cannot get back into the church does that make sense so I I want that for all the people out there who are 
kind of like us. You but know? do you know what is interesting is that it used to be that I felt that way as well, where I thought I really miss church mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. and because we like I haven't been in church probably in six years and um and it was a similar thing of yeah. where it got to a point where when I the last time I was in church it was like I was an observer and I'd never had that before yeah and it was just like if you imagine or at least how I imagined it was that when I was younger up until I was sort of you know beginning to deconstruct it was like everything within church, um, whether you're in a great church or a not great church mm-hmm. or whatever, is structured as channels that reach up to, to tap into God. Yeah. So the way your church uh, service is structured, mm-hmm. uh, the songs that are chosen, yeah. they're all meant to facilitate an upward sort of viewpoint mm-hmm. that connects then to the God that the songs are about yes. and the, that the message is about. And it was like the last time I was in, it was almost like... Um, those channels didn't connect anymore. Mm. It was like my version of God, or not, I shouldn't say my version, but my understanding of God had totally just shifted, like, right to the right. Yeah. I don't mean right wing. I'm just using my right hand as an example. Like, over here. Over here. It shifted over, away. Yeah. Whether to the right or the left. But, like, so all the structure of the church mm-hmm. and all those formalities and the, the liturgy and everything that sort of uh, facilitated that upward um, channels of connection to connect to the God that rested right above those channels. Yeah. God was like, doo-doo, I'm over here. You know, and those channels <laughs> yeah. were just like solidified cylinders yeah. of nothing that connected to nothing. Yeah. They meant nothing to me. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I think I did... At the beginning, I missed the community, mm-hmm. but the crazy part is, is that with people like you and mm-hmm. a couple other mutual girlfriends that yeah. we have, and I have a deeper community and yeah. communal connection with you mm-hmm. than I ever did in church. Yeah. So it's a weird, and I agree with you, it would be nice if there was like one singular space, but the point mm-hmm. is, is that even if we look at ourselves as ex-churchgoers, yeah. um, I know there's a group online um, started by Blake Chastain called Ex-Vangelicals, mm-hmm. and they there's a lot of comfort to be had there. There's yeah. a lot of anger. There's a yeah. lot of frustration. Again, people in various points of the nebulous of their yeah. beliefs. Yeah. Um, but I also know that you and I wouldn't be looking for the same thing in a church. No, absolutely You and I not. had different even ideas of of some things, and I know that even if it, it would be nice to have this gathering of sort of the wounded. Yeah. <laughs> but also we yeah. would very much were expecting different things out of it. Yeah, you know. Um, so I don't even know if a structure could c- contain that difference. Yeah, I think that it would be interesting. It would be an interesting social experiment, mm. you know, because I think what the the whole foundation would be is you get to be you. You know, you, you can come however you are. Mm-hmm. And I'm, if you're not on the same spectrum of faith that I am, I have no agenda to change you or to convert you. Maybe like conversation circles yeah, or something like that. Exactly. Like and just like, groups. I think it would be really interesting to do something like that or try something like that. Um, 
just to provide a space mm. for for a kind of the wounded church goers. Yeah. But it wouldn't it, it couldn't be churchy, you know, like it couldn't be no. like the songs and sermon and the altar call. No. Because it, church has an agenda. Like exactly, church's yeah. agenda is always to either refine you towards a set perfectionist standard yeah. mm-hmm. or to convert you. Yeah. So the agenda is always to keep you on track mm-hmm. and better you, not necessarily as your, what we talked about, not necessarily as yourself as a person. Yeah. Because often you're told to repress those things yeah. in you that bother you or the desires that you have, you're told to reject them. So church isn't necessarily about bettering you mm-hmm. as an individual. It's about getting you to adhere to a set of standards that are that is perfection yeah or if you're not a christian to convert you so yeah you're right it would have to be like a totally like just a place there's nothing yeah like a whole bunch of nothing and wherever you're at with god that's cool and if you want to talk about that that's fine i'll just listen and like what am i supposed to tell you like i don't i don't have the answers yeah and I think that there hasn't been room for people to actually talk honestly about their struggles totally. with faith without a lot of ramifications or, like we said, those Christian red flag kind of cliches of, well, just trust the Lord, mm-hmm. which are really silencing tactics, um, even if they're meant well, really. Mm-hmm. Totally. But I think that there are um, some churches maybe who are starting to listen and really try to humble themselves and Be just more listen. Yeah. yeah. And go more for the justice as peace and not just order as, order, yeah. as peace, which is really difficult on a societal level and on a church level, which is a little society because mm-hmm. the things that get disrupted are the people who are in power. Well, and we were even talking about before, um, Chris and I are helping health sciences department um, do interviews of researchers as you know, with COVID, everything, you know, all teaching stuff is is transferring to online. So there's sort of uh, new and exciting ways to try and make class interesting for students. Yeah. And so Krista just did an interview um, with one researcher who was looking at, you know, lead um, poisoning, poisoning and lead levels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The actual issue is that poverty disproportionately puts people at health at health risks yeah like towards disease is a function of poverty totally. and it's preventable and so but that is very difficult to tackle poverty is difficult to yes. tackle yeah. on this huge level because of powerful interests because of yeah. vested interests because of short-term thinking mm-hmm. funding issues because how do you deal with in access to food and exposure to lead and um yeah unsanitary water mm-hmm. you can address those Lack things from policies yeah, yeah different policies and try and implement them at a policy level but if you're not creating a sort of a broader healthier better society mm-hmm. that has access to healthcare and buffers against um against poverty that makes sure they can put food on the table um you can't really change you, you're not really going to change those things it'll be just some new new toxic thing that's moved into yes, the neighborhood yeah, totally. or some new way of starving to death right. or um and so this idea that changing a system uh, an entire system that has built itself off of not listening to and not dealing with issues mm-hmm. you know it's not going to go away and you were saying like well i wonder how it will fare you know in 10 or 20 years time Mm -hmm. it always is going to fare well for the people that prefer order yeah and don't 
are not interested in the messiness and the complications of yeah. justice. Like poverty is complicated. Yeah. People don't want to touch poverty. Mm-hmm. Uh, belief systems yeah. are, are, are messy and yeah. complicated. Yeah. And you can't really sell a lot off of them because if belief systems change yeah. or yeah. in you know in movement you can write a book and then all of a sudden, you know, all the millions you made off of your book of like how to have the perfect church suddenly doesn't work anymore. And everyone's like, well, I thought you said your message was from God. <laughs> so either your message is from God yeah. or it's not. And that's the yeah. problem in, yeah. in current structures mm-hmm. is that order suits, like order and power suit credibility in some ways. Because if it's always the same and your mm-hmm. message is always the same, and you can keep selling these same books and nothing ever changes, then you definitely were hearing from God. Right. Because God never changes. Whereas if you were to open it up and go, actually, remember when Bob wrote that book about the Lord coming back in 1988 and then it didn't work out? (laughs) Or that the communists were going to take over and, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. And then it didn't work out. And you have to be willing to deal with that messiness and that, but, yeah. but, but power isn't, it's not willing to deal with the messiness because no, it discredits itself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's easier just to have a couple little policy changes. Maybe we'll throw some women in just there. Just to appease them. Maybe we'll, yeah. 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 We'll deal with the lead toxicity. We'll deal with that issue. What we will yeah, not touch Yeah. We won't poverty. tell you about this new pollutant that we're putting into exactly. your food. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I do, I, I have hope in some ways that this kind of way of thinking will collapse in on itself as mm-hmm. people leave in droves. Yeah. But I also am kind of like, ah, authoritarianism seems to be kind of on the rise. It's kind of do well, yeah, you the, know? the bummer is, is when everyone like us leaves, then the people who are left are the ones who are creating the structure and the norms and stuff. So y- you can't bet on a system that would be beautiful to people like you and I when we're not in the mix to to build it and so some of that like I feel guilty about like I should be more responsible as a a Christian or something like that to be there to voice these things to say you need to think about x y and z but um I also feel like where I'm at in my journey I can't do that without harming myself some people feel I think that obligation to I think that's just the extra guilt that you have to deal with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. It's you, Krista, or me, Sarah, like we'll never be able to really change a a structure that is, you know, evangelical structure that is roughly 200 years old. Mm -hmm. It only really took off later on. And Protestantism has been around, you know, for quite some time now. For a bit. For a bit, you know. (laughs) So, like, this idea that by staying in one particular church that you are going to get them to rethink of how they look at the Bible and all the donors of the church and the people that are the big tithers. and I know. If something is not good, again, it's a message like Glennon Doyle talks about, but this idea that women are supposed to continually be sacrificing themselves Mm -hmm. for for society or for things that no matter what your own intuition is or your own health is or your Mm -hmm. own that somehow being nothing and being sacrificial is sort of the ultimate woman goal yeah i was like well i think we could do without that that. yeah i think we can do without that right yeah absolutely Um, and yeah maybe there's not as much change that can be made from the outside because you know yourself that when we were in it Mm -hmm. anybody that ever like 
my judgment on people was if, if you were at Sunday morning service and Sunday evening service and a Wednesday Bible study yeah. and Friday night youth group and Tuesday night planning day yeah. and Saturday morning uh, worship prep, mm-hmm. you weren't at those things. Nah, you were, your you're character really a was a bit dodgy. Yeah, you're yeah. backsliding. <laughs> Total backslider. Maybe you believe in God, but you're not marriage Just, material. Not, <laughs> not hardcore enough. Yeah. So you know yourself that even if one of those little things goes, you're yeah. sort of treated with um, suspect, right? Like mm-hmm. you're not. So you would have to do some, um, some acting <laughs> to yeah. hold all those boxes together, uh, check all those boxes in order to actually have any kind of influence. Yeah, I guess I kind of wonder what kind of response there would be. Like if I went to a pastor, I would assume that a pastor is genuinely concerned about his congregants. Yes. And um, wants what's best for them and would would want to tailor his message in a way that they could hear it. You know, like all these things um, without necessarily watering down his message, quote unquote. (laughs) Uh, But I think what ends up coming into play is just ego yeah as well as the power structures and i think it's really hard for um anybody really to say they've been wrong i'm i'm wrong and not only am i wrong but i'm gonna go to all of these steps to Mm. make it right even if that means messiness humiliation Mm -hmm. effort you know the list goes on and on and on so yeah i don't I don't know. I guess I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, no. but I um, I think the biggest thing for me this week, if I were to package it up since our last meeting, is just the continuation of that profound idea that God is taking me on a journey to actually get to know him better and have a real relationship, whatever that looks like, which I cannot do inside the church right now. And I would love to somehow connect with the other people who have been orphaned by the church and I understand a bit better now why I can't stand in the church in my own peace like why it disrupts me mm-hmm. on an internal level so much uh, that I can't even like seem to reach out to make real relationships in that place mm-hmm. right now also just getting to a place where you um, are more free in the in-between places and I yeah. think there's there's such a tendency, like you said, about wobbling of where mm-hmm. your pre your conception of yourself before was kind of like, well, I'm in this in between place. And Krista, are you on the fence? Are you lukewarm? Are you in the you valley know? or on the mountaintop? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like pick one and pick a yeah. side, and and there's it's not really a side. And no. get into this thing that actually where you are right now might be an okay resting place. Yeah. To be in indefinitely to be in whatever rather than always envisioning yourself of like sort of ending up somewhere um, or that you're somehow um, you're not committed enough and you need to go further down this way or you need to go more this way Mm -hmm. or um, because that's something that was a big one for me too I think when you stop church and you're really used to having that not only that guideline of every Sunday morning Mm -hmm. but being told that that is the way you construct your life and and anything else is waffling and anything yeah. else is sort of this wishy-washy flakiness mm-hmm. that is going to get you in trouble like you yeah. said about yeah. you know inviting doom into yeah. your life and so if you don't hurry up and settle that in yourself yeah. and figure out who god is and get to that place yeah you're just waiting for doom to happen mm-hmm. and it's like that is still an old paradigm like that is an old thing that actually doesn't apply in everyday life no just existing every day and being like 
yeah, I'm confused. Like, where I'm at right now, yeah. I'm like, you know what? I have no intention of going back to church. I don't mm-hmm. care if I find a different community. Mm-hmm. I'm very comfortable with my friends, with my hobbies, with yeah. the depth that I have with people. Um, I don't care. I don't even think, I was saying to you before, I don't even think I need an overarching, extending grace to my life every day where I need to right. be in grace just for existing as a human. Right. I'm sort of done with the groveling. I yeah. might need grace from you if I wrong you. I sure. might need grace from other people or forgiveness for specific things at specific times. Mm-hmm. But just for the just for existing and being alive and breathing, I don't need, you know, and maybe that will change. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. But yeah. I'm also just totally okay with being here right now. Like, yeah. And holding all of that really loosely. Right. It feels nice to hold things loosely and not feel like I have to... This is the truth. Fix it. Yeah. Hold fix on it to it to something. your life. And <laughs> it's like, oh, well, this is a nice feeling to just be able to not have to be groveling, to not worry about mm-hmm. my soul charred forever, mm-hmm. and to just go, yeah, well, if God, if God is there, they're big enough to deal with yeah. my humanness. Yes. Exactly. And, and I'm cool with that. Yeah. All of it feels quite nice for the first time in my life. It doesn't have to be striving all the time. Constant. Either checking the boxes yeah. or living in fear. It's kind of like this. And making sure it all cognitively makes sense. Okay, look, does this make sense? And does yeah. this make... Um, because that too is exhausting, you know? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway, that's us for this week, and um, we will talk to you guys next week. We have no idea about what, as you can tell, we have no real clear direction yet as to yeah. what we're doing, but we're largely entertained. Yeah, so I love that's these conversations. <laughs> Hopefully it matters to others. <laughs> um, all right, that's us for now. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.